It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. This show is brought to you by TalkShoe, where anyone can create their own internet talk show. Check it out at T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E dot com. Hey, welcome to another episode of Cellar Dwellers, the home winemaking talkcast. I am Dave Nelson, and uh, next to me here in the studio is... I be the other guy. The other guy. I do have to say that uh, your identity is starting to leak out a little whoa, whoa, bit. Whoa, 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 How it's is this happening? But true. How well, is this happening? I'm going to share with you some of our, our, our listener mail in a few minutes, and you'll see that uh, I think two different listeners are on to you. Oh, no. Now, we're not going to reveal this it to tragic. the population tragic. at large, but apparently we've been making small mistakes that are revealing... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. We have been... Well, well, maybe I did. I don't know. Somebody's making small mistakes. I know that, well, at least two of them were mine. I figure <laughs> yeah, if I made two, you've got a half a dozen. <laughs> anyway, it's Cellar Dwellers Home Wine Making Talk Cast on a, uh, we usually come to you at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night, but today we're recording at uh, 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night. Just, it's the beauty of the technology. You can sort of shift it around. Remember, the more you drink, the better we sound. Unless, of course, you're in your car, in which case we advise that you don't listen. Because it's actually... Or pull into a bar and... (laughs) That would work. But we wouldn't want to encourage any of our our listeners to have those little earbuds in their their ears. I think that you can get a ticket for that. So um, don't... Can you really? Yes. Don't listen in your car. I think that's a good thing, though. Find a place to park it, and then you can listen and drink at the same time. There you go. Now, Dave, I had two beers before. Does that count? Because it's a uh, wine show? Well, how are we sounding? <laughs> <laughs> you better get Not another sixer. Good. Not very good. Drink more. <laughs> All right. Well, it, the show is early. This thing will drag on for hours. So uh, We tried. We try to keep this to a half an hour, 40 minutes. And we, we have never been, been close. close. But Jules... We really don't discriminate. If we sound good with a couple of beers, you know, have another couple of beers, I'm sure we'll sound better. Today's show, we are going to talk all about the kind of problems that you can get into when you're making wine. Now, we've passed through all the different steps of, you know, finding grapes and fermenting and barrel aging. Yeah, we've had all 14 steps, right? All 14 steps, including, of course, the best one, which we really got into in depth last week. That was uh, drinking your wine. Yeah, Step 14, which sort we of overshadowed the, the previous 13. <laughs> we try to practice it over and over. Anyway, we decided we would dive into what kind of problems can you have with, with winemaking. And what we're doing today is talking about acid level in your grapes. What happens if it's too high or if it's too low? Uh, acetification, I think, is what they say when you're talking adjusting acid. Am I pronouncing that right? I'll buy that. I forgot my speak and spell dictionary. In fact, I forgot all my props for tonight's show. Acetification. 
Acetific- I think that's how you say it, acetification. That's the, not the same thing as planting a new lawn. <laughs> That's, that's what would that be? aeration? What would that acetification? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> try to keep up with me. Yeah, I got. I, I missed that seed part in there. Okay. Uh, All right. Types of acid, measuring acid, acid, adding it. You know, the full acid trip, as it were. That's what tonight's show. Have to do with Timothy Leary, or, or what's, what's <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, he would be. He would be a perfect guest. In fact. Maybe, Jules, you can track him down while do we're the on the show and have him call in. I only want his product. I'm not interested in tracking him down. Yeah, well, I believe he died a couple of years <laughs> ago anyway, so uh, <laughs> it would be one heck of a challenge. We're also going to tell you our story because we made a specific error around acid every year. In fact, we get our grapes in general from California, and we've always had to adjust the acid level. They've never been acidic enough. And one year, we had a particularly big adventure where we adjusted the acid too much and, and then had to compensate for it. And it was really quite a, an interesting story. It caused some uh, significant problems in, uh, in making the wine. So we're going to get into that, what we might call the, the Merlot mistake of 2004. The Merlot mistake. It, it was a lot of work when it happened. Uh, you know, it... Uh, if we were in Maryland, we could have called it the Maryland Merlot mistake of 2004, but we live in Pennsylvania. It doesn't quite roll off the the lips the same way. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I tell you what. David, I'll it's, stick... funny you, it's funny you mentioned that. I just, I just drank a glass of Maryland Merlot. Maryland last, Merlot. Last week, a, a winery by the name of Elk Winery in Maryland. I visited there last week, and they make a Maryland Mer- Merlot. I'm happy to hear it. Is it like Marilyn, like the no, female? No, Marilyn, like the state. Oh, Marilyn, like the state. Merlot, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, Merlot, like Merlot. And, and did you hear the other guy dissing me just a minute ago for uh, for my attempted joke? But you know what? I'm the numbers guy. You're the humorist here, so you be funny. I'm the, I'm the passionate one. You are the passionate I'm the, one. And there's also there is a a wine with a label of a picture of Marilyn Monroe. Right, it's a Maryland. I don't know Merlot. what it is, but it's no, it's Maryland Maryland Merlot. I've seen that that one. I've not You've actually seen that's had it. That's a real wine. It's right. a for real wine. But apparently, there's one from Maryland. Well, apparently there is. In fact, you know, I saw the Maryland Merlot down at the Maryland Monroe Bar in Costa Rica. It's a bar where everything is Maryland Monroe or Merlot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to mix up their <laughs> their words. You can call in to our talk cast by calling 724-444-7444. Our ID is number 18. And you will need a PIN, which means you need to be signed up as a user on TalkShoe.com. But for the first time ever, people can listen to us and probably are all over the world without sure. making a phone call. They can listen to this simply streamed right to their computer. You don't have to download anything. You don't they don't have need to, extra software. Nothing special. Go. You don't even have to tell us who you are. You can be completely anonymous. Just go to the TalkShoe.com website, find the Cellar Dweller Show, and click on Listen In, and you can listen along anonymously. That is out of Sightsville, Arizona, right yeah, there. Yeah, if you feel a little braver, you can bring up the chat client, and you can type us questions. Now, that requires a download and gets a little more complicated. You can also email us at sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com and 
many people have. So let's start off the show tonight let's with get to the email. listener emails. Now we have a gentleman named uh, Darren. Should we use full names or should we just go with okay? The, the it might passionate be a legal one. Issue. We'll, we'll contact our <laughs> we legal department to tomorrow. Share our massive yeah. royalties yeah. <laughs> with our <laughs> listeners if we um, shared their full name. So we'll just call this guy Darren B. Uh, he goes by the uh, the email address dude. At uh, I won't give his whole email address, or he'll be inundated, I'm sure, with uh, swamped <laughs> all the people that listen to this show and want to talk to him. Actually, he says, "Hi, Dave. I just heard the last show and wanted to say thanks for the great series. So he must have made it through all 14. God Unbelievable! At least one person. God bless him. <laughs> one guy did. <laughs> uh, I look forward to future episodes on whatever you cover. I find the repertoire between you both to be very entertaining." But imagine pitching the following idea to some media executive. Yeah, it's two guys chewing the fat while getting slowly drunk. But it works. (laughs) Now, where is our Morris Dictionary of Word and Phrase origins? Because chewing chewing the fat is it. (laughs) I'm glad you picked that up. I hope you didn't say that after having some of our wine. Well, you know what? There's another listener email I just want to cue you into that uh, this chewing the fat is going to come front and center. So we'll, we'll give it a second here. Let's uh, work through these. He does say he's very interested in hearing shows on when something is wrong with your wine. You know, how do you detect it? How do you how how do you ah, fix it? I hope he's listening tonight. Huh? And he'd also like to hear running commentaries on the wines as they're being made. And we are coming up on a new winemaking season starting probably mid-September to early October. Speaking of which, I see, Jerry, you are on the show with us, and you've brought a guest, Mike. Do I understand correctly, Jerry, that Mike is also a winemaker? Can you tell us his story? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, when I listened to your last show, I, I, I heard the, um, the the dilemma that you had about, you mentioned early in the show, saying, well, not sure what we're going to cover next, because you've gone through your 14 steps, concluding with the most important one, of course, which was drinking the wine. And so I thought, well, making the still wine is the first step in making sparkling wines. Um, and so I immediately thought about Mike, who is a, a good friend of mine. And uh, we haven't really, Mike and I haven't really talked much about today's show, but um, I did tell them that I wanted to introduce him because um, when I introduce Mike as a winemaker, uh, it's important to note that. My greatest accomplishment as a winemaker, I've been making wine for um, a number of years, approaching 20 years, and my greatest accomplishment was Mike was my first student, or one of my students, I should say. Ah, propagating the art. Exactly, but Mike far surpassed the professor, (laughs) and Mike has done a very, very good job in winemaking. So he and I continue to, uh, probably like you and the other guy, continue to uh, get together every year and, and, and do some things. We have some other friends we get together and, and put some uh, some interesting wines together. But Mike uh, took it a step further, as I mentioned, and he he took the next step and started to started to make sparkling wines. Wow. Ah, now that's and, uh, interesting. Yeah, so when I heard, you know, I heard the, the dilemma you had last show about what do we do next, I thought, well, still wines, which you've concluded here, uh, or the first step in making a sparkling. Um, you mentioned the issue of acid a few minutes ago, and 
acid levels and sugar levels, of course, are important in all aspects of making wine, and, and in particular for making sparkling wine. So I thought, you know, not knowing what your whole program was about, but, you know, Mike may be able to add add a few few comments about uh, making sparkling wine. It it at first seemed to me to be a kind of a complex next step, but it turns out that it, like most things, you know, when you break it down, it really um, is is not that difficult. Um, but it it takes takes a lot of care and, and and does get into a little more detail. So, well, I guess you have to go through, and I'll ask Mike, uh, you know, verify, but you have to go through sort of the whole process of making wine as we've just detailed it, but then you've got to make it into sparkling wine. Is that a separate step? Mike, did we lose you? Ah, Mike has run off somewhere. Hmm. Well, well, we'll catch him when he comes back. Jerry, do you have... Uh, oh, hey, Mike. I'm sorry. Um, Got to find the mute button on the phone. <laughs> no problem. Um I'm I had sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm still I'm back. I'm I was looking for Mike. Mike, yeah. are you there? I am. Oh, okay. Sorry about that, Dave. Um uh, but the 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 process actually is a continuation to kind of where you ended up with a twist that you do want to uh prepare the uh wine appropriately to take it into the next phase to sparkle. And so you have you you would want to have uh, intended to sparkle your wine from uh, from the beginning, but that would be it is the extra step and uh, a lot of patience. Uh, but the um, the beauty of the process is that if you've if you've toured some of the big champagne houses, um, one of the things that uh, you get to see is that the home winemaker's process is very similar to the big champagne houses for making sparkling wine. And so you actually can make some fairly impressive sparkling wines in your own cellar at home. And uh, that that was what intrigued me um, by going the extra mile and, and just the results of the whole process. And we spent a lot of time talking about bottles late in the process. I take it for sparkling wine, what some people would call champagne, but which the French, I guess, have their copyright or trademark or whatever it is. Uh, you're using a different kind of bottle? Not a standard yes. Bordeaux wine bottle or, or such? Correct. You are using the, again, they use the champagne, but you are using the uh, a bottle designed to handle close to 100 pounds of pressure. Ah. Well, so the key question, actually, to both Jerry and Mike, since you're both home winemakers, is uh, do you have current inventory, and are you willing to trade it? And how soon can it get here? (laughs) (laughs) Let's cut to the chase. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we do. Actually, we do. uh, I I think both Jerry and I, I I can't speak for Jerry uh, in terms of where his cellar's at right now, but... uh, I have uh, quite a bit that has caught up at the end of the pipeline and needs that final step. Um, Bottling. Ah. <laughs> so we, we should we should do a whole show on uh, on sparkling wine. All right, I like that idea. So Mike, we'll yeah, because Mike already mentioned you you have to start with that end 
in, in intentionally when you start even with the grape. So we we, could, we should uh, we should run through that process. That'd right from the get go, yeah, it would be a lot of fun. And I, I've got to imagine that you, uh, with respect to fermentation, you must need to add sugar later once you're bottling it to you know drive the fermentation again in the bottle. We'll get into it. Know, it should yeah. be a really interesting that would show. That would be great. We'll, we'll, but we'll also, let you guys know when we're going to do that one. We would love to sample some. So, uh, Mike, are you? In or around the I've never had area? bubbling <laughs> olive oil before. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm, I'm actually uh, at the same organization with Jerry. He's a coworker. Ah, okay. Ah. Well, fantastic. Now, Brian, I got a. We're we're uh, getting way far ahead of ourselves with the chat. Did you find the origin for uh, chew the fat, or just other references back to? Uh, I see you said something about a uh, BBC uh, comedy from uh, I guess years back. Yeah, no, that was that was just a current um, item. But the origin, or actually, you were you were talking earlier about. I think I put it in here. The chew the fat. The next one after the BBC show. Yeah, well, to have a long and friendly conversation. British and formal American. Yeah, to have a long, friendly conversation. That's the old idioms.com, if you believe them. Yeah, the, they're somewhat suspect from time to time. But that really doesn't. I mean, chewing the fat. You know, where does that come from? Did people, while they were conversing, they cut off a big chunk of bacon and sort of stuck it back in their jaw? Like I, think, I think they were chewing on a dinosaur leg. I think it goes back that far. You think? Yeah. I mean, look how long it would take to chew through that, and you had to do something, so they started talking and yapping at each other. I'm not buying it. Not buying that? Oh, oh I know. Dinosaurs were pretty not too fatty. Is that what <laughs> That's exactly why <laughs> They I were was. pretty lean. Is that what you're getting at? All right, well... It actually brings us to our next email, and it's a it's a perfect, although unintentional, segue. <laughs> Hi, Dave, and and this comes from, by the way, listener David, who writes in from California, was on our last show. Yes. And somehow he picked up your your name. I'm not sure from the last show. Well, I don't think he got it from the last show. He might have gotten it from one of the email responses or copied on a forward message or something. Mm. We're going to have to watch the. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're letting a little bit slip through. So. I'm not going to repeat it for most listeners, but he did pick it up one way or the other. He he asks the following question. Would you have any idea how a Syrah would acquire a pork fat aftertaste? I have had several bottles of Castle Rock Syrah, which has always had a lingering bacon-like taste. The other Castle Rock varietals do not have a similar quality. So where I don't remember from our flavor wheel, you know, bacon or pork fat or or anything, where would a Syrah get that kind of a flavor? So Let, was, let's he, just note that... He was to, literally chewing the fat. <laughs> freaking Apparently. <laughs> I have never tasted that, but I am now so curious that I think for our next show, we got to go find a bottle of Castle Rock Syrah. He has, he's saying... And several bottles... Pork, pork fat, fat aftertaste. And by the way, talking to him last week, I mean, this was a guy who knows his wine. He seriously tastes wine. I totally buy that he he's getting that out of this Syrah. Pork fat. Pork fat. Bacon. I, I wonder if you get it from the, uh, is it a barrel-aged, and is it the particular uh, oak and the toasting of the oak? that is combining with that particular grape? An interesting question. You know, our Syrah, we're making Syrah this year, and um, it tastes more like coffee than any wine 
I've ever had. Uh, you know, so I, uh, there are amazing flavors that come out of wine, but this is a new one on me, bacon. That's, I've never heard that one. Wow. I say we try to track this down. The, you have to quit drinking castle. it with breakfast. That's the problem. <laughs> Good advice to listener David, although... Wait till we, lunch, David. <laughs> It'll taste like a hamburger after taste. Probably the aroma will would say smoky. I could see the smoky the smoke, part. The smoke, yeah. no, and bacon is a smoked product. So I bet there's a smoke aspect to this craziness. I want to track down a bottle of Castle Rock before our next Castle show. Castle Rock. And, and do a little tasting ourselves and, and see if we get the same thing. That's a great idea. By the way, David also passes on, he says, here's a real wine bargain for the other guy. An under $12 bottle, uh, under $12 bottle, 2003 Columbia Crest, two vines, Cabernet Sauvignon. It's uh, the Columbia Crest lower bottling, because they have multiple grades. Right. And he says he got one on sale for less than $6.00. And now get this, we've talked about this, but I think it's really interesting just to hear other people's input on it. Being as I am the only wine drinker in the house, I usually finish up a bottle of wine on the third day. Well, if I'm good, he says, this wine, the Columbia Crest, is good on the first day, great on the second day, and just fabulously smooth on the third day. Wow. And I think we can assume that he's not treating it with nitrogen or something. We're just talking about an open bottle of wine, breathing, surviving for three days. And there are a number of bottles that will do that. Well, very interesting, David. And we'll see if we can confirm your uh, your taste, the, the aroma or aftertaste that you're getting out of this wine. If we, if but we the concur, only way you and I could do that is if we open six bottles on the first day. <laughs> to make drink, it to the third day. Leave them all open. <laughs> it's the only way we're going to have any left after day three. You are, you are so right. Uh, Another email here from uh, listener Greg, and he says, in the continuing cork versus cap debate, and by the way, I am starting to come around to the cap uh-huh. side of things. The passionate one is definitely a cap fan, and I'm starting it's to see, for example, debating, isn't it? We, <laughs> please, we, we, are, we are drinking a, um, a bottle of uh, Sleeping Dogs Pinot Noir. Now, this one comes from listener uh, Richard, Richard Williams. And it came across from New Zealand. It's probably the only bottle in the country, and it has a screw cap. This is from the uh, the vineyard slash winery where Richard works. And um, survived coming, the travel well. Uh, coming across in the airplane, you're talking low pressure that often causes uh, seepage or, or bleeding with a corked wine. So not only did it arrive intact, but it was caked to open. I'm starting to come around to the caps. In any case, here's a real opportunity to decide for yourself. Thanks to listener Greg, uh, he, he dashed off a quick email, said he's off to a birthday party tonight, so he wasn't going to make it into the call. But that said, there is the battle of the century shaping up. Now, this is more interesting maybe to Pittsburghers or people within driving distance of Pittsburgh. But on Friday, August 25th, a very nice local restaurant, Cafe Allegro, uh, where I've one of the best in town. Eaten many times, spectacular. They are going to present a unique wine dinner, and just reading from the uh, the uh, advertisement, destined to entertain and inform you, and certain to please you. This is the world's first ever trial of this type: cork versus the screw cap. We will pit them against each other in a knockdown, drag-out battle during an exceptional wine dinner. Our guests will play a crucial role in the final outcome. 
So it turns out that their executive chef, Joe Nolan, is putting together a spectacular five-course dinner, not counting the entrees. And uh, by the way, I see a noisy person has just come onto the line. Uh, Gosh, he's noisy. <laughs> That's, I had to take uh, my headphones off. John, welcome to the show. John is on the show. I believe you know John. I <laughs> I'd recognize that clanking around anywhere. Hey, John. Now, is John in Texas? John is in Austin, Texas. John? No, I'm not. I'm in Georgetown, Texas. Oh, ah. he's in. Oh, Padoname. Half an hour, half an hour north. <laughs> Padoname? Yeah, pardon me. Oh, is that how they say it Why don't in Texas? you get hip to the new languages, buddy? Padoname. Yeah, Padoname. Okay, I'll start using that all the time. <laughs> well, welcome, John. Well, th- thank you. I was just getting ready to, to key a chat message in saying I can listen to you for free, and I'm dialed in on the on the, the cell phone here. So uh, I may just hang up and listen. Although I did notice that y'all have a uh, a delay to the uh, to the computer stuff. Is that due to technology, or are you, are you trying to actually uh, uh, stop people from saying something bad? Actually, it's my partner I'm worried about. I need a <laughs> ten or so second delay on the passionate one, just in case something goes disastrously awry. <laughs> now, truth be, truth be told, the FCC does not govern this uh, talk cast, and it really is just a technology thing. Yeah, well, being a ham radio operator, the FCC is looking over my shoulder all the time. And and I do know the other guy's name. Ah, yes, see another one out there. It's leaking out slowly. We'll send you a bottle of olive oil if you keep it secret. It's, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, another person that we, uh, that we know very dearly, uh, other guy is uh, he says whatever you take to Arizona uh, is getting split between uh, him and me and uh, and the third person isn't getting any. That's right. You forgot your wine last time. Uh, I didn't forget it. You forgot to give it to me. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more for more for himself. <laughs> All right. So uh, back to uh, the the battle of the century: cork versus the screw cap. August twenty fifth at uh, Cafe Allegro. Hey, uh, hey guys, I'm just going to listen to you on, online. I'm going to hang up. All right, we'll see you later, John. Thanks for calling in. Listen, listen along to the stream. I will. Talk uh, to you, Texas boy. Okay. It's nice. Bye-bye. 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 It's nice to know that he's out there because we can't tell the one. Oh, he's out there. <laughs> <laughs> the the one thing we can't tell, you know, if people call in, then we can see him and we can talk to him, and you know, it's it's really yeah, it's great. great. They can chat with us. Uh, John, you can, of course, keep your chat window open and type messages to us all day, even as you listen to the stream instead of being on the phone. So, you know, do that, please. Uh, Type us messages. So uh, August 25th at Cafe Allegro, Chef Joe Nolan, for $90 per guest, is going to prepare a light appetizer and a five-course dinner with wine samplings at every stage, and you can pick each of the wines from either the cork or the screw cap. The same wine. The same exact wine. They got wineries to put wine in cork. two different bottles. They must have planned this probably a couple of years ahead of time because wine sits in a bottle for a couple of years before it's released. Sure. So but what winery does that? This exact same wine? And I, I, wow. I'm, I'm, either, I'm either suspicious. Some, well, we're going to have to find out. Either some winery had a lot of insight ahead of time realizing, hey, we can push our stock by offering it in both formats and let all those people compare. 
Maybe it was a gimmick, or possibly they Cafe, really are t- checking it out. Yeah, Cafe yeah. Allegro. Um, you know, maybe talk to them ahead of time. I don't know, but it seems like a really interesting opportunity. Well, why don't you cough up 180 bones out of the uh, petty cash here at talk to you? And we'll yeah, go. Our, our massive <laughs> income. Actually, I have a line on a French sponsor who may start sponsoring this show next show. I'm and shocked it's taken this long. To get <laughs> I'm shocked, French too. Sponsor. But if I can pry $180 out of our new French sponsor, I will be happy to spring for this dinner. Uh, $90 per guest. And uh, if you want to call and make your own reservation, and by the way, I'm throwing this out there not because they've paid us to or sponsored. I just think it's a really cool idea. Call Cafe Allegro at 412-481-7788 and make a reservation. What a neat idea. Neat idea. A great restaurant. hope that thing sells out. They Actually, they usually are pretty crowded. I've got to imagine that it's going to be packed. Pretty cool. Thanks, Greg, for forwarding that. Our last email, and, uh, you know, of course, we're doing a poor job, as usual, getting to the the meat of the show. We're going to talk all about acid. But it comes from our friend in New Zealand. And, uh, Richard, we're drinking the Sleeping Dogs 2004 Pinot Noir that you sent us. Uh, It's probably, I've got to guess for a 2004 that this is pre-release, that the uh, winery This is not uh, something he's personally made, but the winery where he works uh, has produced it, and it's probably pre-release, and it's certainly uh, not in the U.S. uh, yet. So, um, Passionate One, do you have a comment on the Pinot Noir? How do you like it? This reminds me a lot of our Syrah. Of our Syrah, huh? Doesn't it to you? With the, um, yeah, it's it's sort of softer. It does have some coffee notes in it. It does. Very nice. Very nice. I, I think we're going to really enjoy drinking this. We uh, haven't gotten into it yet. It maybe hasn't aired out as much as it uh, will, but, man, that is delicious. It reminds me a lot of our Syrah. Yeah, Richard, if you've got a few more bottles of that uh, lying around, well, actually, it costs nearly $100 to mail olive oil back and <laughs> forth uh, to and from New Zealand. But uh, Richard writes into us. I actually wrote twice. Uh, Hi, Dave. Thanks for the wine. It arrived a few days ago. I managed to try the Cabernet Sauvignon last night. It was really bloody nice, which I guess is a compliment in New Zealand. Uh, Good job to you and the other guy for making such an awesome-tasting wine. Also, I thought the label was really well done, too. Now I know the other guy's name as it was printed on the back of the 03 Zin, right? The whole story was back there. Uh And I didn't send them the fake one that was the story about Dave and the other guy and how I'd done all the work. It actually gave you fair credit. So there's one way the cat got out of the bag. Um, I guess I can count myself lucky. Interestingly, there was a slight leak from the cork when it got here. must have been due to the pressure from the altitude while flying, maybe. Uh, Very interesting. Another check mark for for the cap. One for the cap. Great to listen to your latest episode on labels. Just today, I went and bought myself some labels that I could put through my printer, but I had quite a bit of trouble lining them up as the software available for printing them was available only in Spanish. That might slow one down (laughs) as a (laughs) non-Spanish speaker. do it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, he seems to be getting through. Then he followed up with another email on Tuesday night. I'm sipping your 03 Zin now on Tuesday night. Wow, it's good. A lot different than the cab. I thought that the oak in the 03, now this is what I found was really interesting. 
I thought that the oak in the O3 was a bit full on. I'm going to say that's that means overdone. Um, and the O3's in. In the O3's in. I don't think the wine had the body to oak it that hard with new oak. Still a really enjoyable drink because the quality of the fruit seems really good. I like the new characteristics compared to other wine I've tried. Now remember, he's never had a Zinfandel before, so sort of the, the spiciness and, and such of a sin. I thought you are so much more into it with the Cabernet. So we sent him the 05 cab. He seems to be very excited about that. Do not over-oak it, though. I think you'll make it taste too artificial. Now, it's funny because we generally felt that we had under-oaked the right. Zinfandel. And, in fact, we took some bottles, not the one we mailed to Richard, but some bottles and added additional oak after the fact because we'd only left it in the barrel. Now, granted, it was a brand-new barrel, and it was a half-size barrel, months, right? but it was about two and a half months. Right. Well, and he felt it was over-oaked. Right. So I suppose different people have different tastes, and that's why there's 10,000 wines in the world. Uh, Blame the altitude. Ah, good thinking, Jerry. The altitude uh, tweaked the oak and made it. <laughs> That's what it is, Richard. We're sorry we couldn't control the the darn pressurization in the cargo hold. That that must be it. Thanks for saving our bacon there. Uh, he also says thanks for the rave comments on his home brew because we were critiquing his wine. Good to hear your honest opinion. You were totally right on the lack of racking. A mate recommended leaving it on the lees for a while to get that mouthfeel going, and as it turned out, he was wrong. Let's call him the other guy. It was a given, or sorry, it was given a bentonite to clear the wine. Now that must be um, some kind of fining. I'm not familiar with that one. I didn't actually look it up in advance of the show, uh, but I think he used that to try to clear it to fine the wine. And then he says he racked it twice, but he really understood after listening to the last show the importance of a good racking. Uh, he also he comments on we observed a little carbonation, and he was wondering if that was due to excess potassium metabisulfite. He said he hit it pretty hard with that to prevent spoilage. I don't think that would have anything to do with carbonation. And in any case, Richard, it was very light uh, carbonation and cleared pretty quickly. It, so it really did after a couple I didn't minutes, consider that to be uh, any... Um, any negative. Uh, he says, thanks for sending me your olive oil. Uh, that must have been your first export then, which I think it is. Uh, just don't let the authorities know that. I can't believe it's, it costs so much at your end. I was bowled over by the price on my end as well. I figured you'd have about the same, but wow, that's so cool. I can send a bottle to the other side of the world and have people drink it. That's, that's worth it. So uh, he closes with saying, I believe I found the vineyard shown on your Cabernet Sauvignon bottle. Now, the passionate one drew the label, the vineyard. Remember the the, 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 the rows of uh, uh, vines? Right. I've just started uh, managing it. So this is where he works. And it looks just like it. It even oh, has cool. the oak tree in the middle. However, the vines don't say woodbine, 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 <laughs> 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 which I thought was the coolest thing about that label. Uh, maybe I'll send you a photo, though it might be hard to get the point of view from your label because I would need to fly. I think it has that you know, altitude perspective. Uh, Richard, maybe a hot air balloon or something? I mean, don't give up too easily. Yeah. Uh, Richard yeah, cool. also sent his label. He was inspired after listening to the show on labels, and uh, it's a killer 
the killer label. Maybe we'll find a way to post it on the uh, website with this talkcast so everyone else can see it. I, I was. Uh, we very... should we should post our labels too. Oh, uh, we should. Ones. Okay, we'll get on that. That's, that could yeah, yes. We'll we'll definitely get on that. Uh, speaking of getting on it, let's get on with the uh, with the show. Where <laughs> we haven't even started. Acid in wine. Why? What does acid matter? Uh, what do you, what do you think, passionate one? What does acid really mean, one way or the other, to wine? Any speculation? Well, it can give body or take body away. That's exactly. I would have said it the same way. It's really the sort of the the character or backbone. Ah, backbone. Backbone. Good. I, I like, like that back. one. I okay, like so backbone. We agree on backbone. Too little acid, your wine is flabby. Too much, and it's too tart. Uh, you know, think think lemon juice if you want to think acid and. Uh, you know, it's, you don't want too much acid. Uh, acid actually does play a couple of other important roles, though. It helps prevent spoilage. If you think about a very acidic environment, it's not very friendly to microorganisms, and and that helps wine with its longevity. So, uh, once you have very little to no sugar in a wine, and you put a little bit of sulfites in there, if it's sufficiently acetic, then or acidic, I should say. It's going to last a, a long time. No, th- let me let me interrupt. Does the acidity change when you cellar a wine over a over a ten or twenty year period? I think it can. Um, we have observed with some of the wines that we have consumed, little crystals in the bottom of the bottle or side of the bottle if it's been cellared uh, lying down, and those crystals are often tartaric acid that has precipitated out of the wine. So. If you had too much precipitation, uh, wine as it aged could lose some of, lose some of its backbone. Uh, so uh, I think that's a that's a good point. The ideal level, since we're talking about home winemaking, is and by the way, you should be reading some of the listener comments here because I am not keeping up. With, <laughs> I must uh, plead uh, uh, overload, uh, trying to multiplex too many things. I'm not keeping up with all the comments here, but. Uh, the ideal level of acid in the must, so we're starting with you know grapes that are crushed and you've got the juice, you want to get it into the pH range of, if it's red, maybe 3.5 to, or 3.3 to 3.5. If it's white, it's more acidic, 3.1 to 3.5, or 3.3, I should say. And total acidity, I, I just want to be on the record passionate one. I have not had that much wine yet, and I'm really having trouble with these numbers. So bottom line, red wine or red must should be 3.4 plus or minus. White should be 3.2 plus or minus on the pH scale. And total acidity for red wine should be about a 0.6% to 0.7%. Total acidity on white should be slightly higher, slightly more acidic, 0.65 to 0.75. Now, I got to tell you, we made we made a big mistake when we mixed up um, pH and TA, and and actually just called it total acidity. That's not what TA stands for. It stands for titratable acidity. And it is different than total acidity. But what is pH versus TA? Good question. Okay, well, I did a little digging, and TA is actually measuring the available acid now you took a lot of chemistry, so you tell me. I just I wrote down the definition. I don't totally know what this means, but it's the available acid with free hydrogen hydrogen ions. 
you know, chemistry was not my best subject. So it's not total acid, because that would be all the organic acids in the juice, whether it's must or, or finished wine, but the available acid with free hydrogen ions, which must have something to do with why it's titratable or precipitatable. And the, the only other thing I can add to that from what I can recall way back when dealing with that is that it is a solution's ability to either push a reaction towards a more acidic reaction or towards a more basic reaction. Interesting. Well, just to boil it down for the layman, because... might have something to do with aging, too. Could could be. I I was confused enough that I did a little more research, and it comes down to this. TA, titratable acidity, is the amount of acid, whereas pH is really the strength of the acid. And you can have all sorts of weird combinations. And And this is where I got myself into trouble confusing TA and pH, and why I think it's worth dwelling on this a little bit, you can have a high TA and a high pH. Now, high TA means lots of acid. High pH means low acid. And the scales are backwards Strength here, right? right? So right. remember, the pH scale runs from 0, which is acidic, to 14, which is completely base, right. 7 being neutral. So a high pH means not acidic, whereas a high titratable acidity, TA, means lots of acid. But let's take it to be TA means the amount of acid, pH is the strength of the acid, and you need to pay attention to these uh, separately. I when, I, when I was adjusting the acidity, I looked at the pH, and I did not look at the TA and made a mistake of adding too much tartaric acid to our O4 Merlot. So the TA must have been high already. To start with, even uh-huh. though the pH was what you call weak. And then what happens when we get too acidic? Well, yeah, what do you do? So now before we get into that, let's talk about how do you measure these two things, right? Because uh, you really do need to pay attention to them. This is important. If you don't get the acid right in in the beginning with your must, you're going to end up with a wine that has no backbone or is overly sort of sour or bitter, that uh, kind of lemon juice Mm -hmm. taste. So Mm -hmm. I really think this is a a key topic. We've had to adjust the acid every single year, every single grape. Now, we've got grapes coming out of California. There are places like Pennsylvania, if you were dealing with Pennsylvania grapes, you'd have too much acidity. You'd have to be working the other way. The way you measure acidity, TA can be measured with what's called a titration kit. $5.99 $5.99 costs almost nothing at the country wines. Now, it does take a little bit of, you know, you got to measure 10 milliliters of this and put in four drops of this and then this neutralizer. It's, it's like a chemistry experiment, but it doesn't cost very much, $5.99. And by the way, I build you, I do all the accounting, being the numbers guy, I build you only $150 for this purchase, factoring in my research and ordering. That's <laughs> a steal. <laughs> it's a, definitely a steal. Um, TA is not, this titration kit is not going to tell you anything about the various types of acids. Now, pH can be measured different ways. You probably remember those little test kits for your swimming pool. Uh, We bought a digital pH meter, $55.21 from Homebrew Heaven, another website. And by the way, being almost 10 times as much as the titration kit, I won't mention on the air what I charged you for this one. Those two things together can allow you to measure your TA and your pH. Now, 
they're not going to tell you about the specific kinds of acid in your wine. There are four types of acid in wine that are relevant to the winemaker. There's tartaric, that's the main acid. And the interesting thing about tartaric, you alluded to this earlier, it does not really change in fermentation. It may precipitate out a little bit with age, but fermentation doesn't do much to the tartaric acid, the main acid in wine. Malic acid, and remember Richard wrote in last time or a few times ago and said, think of the flavor or the taste of unripe apples. That kind of tannic or sour flavor is, that's the malic acid. That actually um, is lost through fermentation. Mm-hmm. Among other things, uh, malolactic fermentation is converting it to a, a lactic acid. But there's a problem with malic acid. If at the end of the grape growing season it is too hot, as grapes ripen, the malic acid falls off. And so if you get grapes from a period of time where it's very hot late in the growing season, you may have an issue with malic acid that's too low. Now, I don't I think the technology to the home winemaker, certainly to us, is not there to distinguish between tartaric and malic acid in your sample. So here is a place where it might pay to know what happened at the end of the growing season for your grapes. If you end up with uh, acidity, which is insufficient, uh, and it was a very hot season, perhaps you'd want to be adding malic acid, whereas in general, the advice would be add tartaric acid. But which acid do you want for the backbone of the wine? Uh, tartaric they or both malic? they both contribute uh, I will say though tartaric again is the predominant acid malic acid in part is going to emphasize the fruitier flavors so if you're making a varietal that is more towards fruity then perhaps boosting the malic acid is going to be useful and remember the fruity wines especially your white wines generally don't go through malolactic fermentation so there's more chance that your malic acid is going to survive to the uh, end product Dave, uh, yes please have you, have you uh, tried citric on fruitier even white wines well okay so we're we're working through so let me let me touch just very briefly on lactic acid because that's the byproduct of malic acid. Well, wait, 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 the question was citric, citric acid. and I want to get to that last. To that. Yeah, oh, okay. so let's hit on citric uh, a fourth if we could. Um, so tartaric is predominant. Uh, malic is there. You're going to lose maybe a third of it going through the process um, as it converts to lactic acid. The uh, malic acid converting to lactic acid, malic is twice as sharp as lactic just as the human taste, lactic tends to be softer, more buttery. Uh, the flavor of milk is, uh, or in fact milk itself, contains a lot of lactic acid. So um, that malic-lactic balance is something you can play with through malolactic fermentation, which is done on most red wines, but almost no white wines. Maybe mm-hmm. a Chardonnay sometimes, but almost no other whites. Brings us to the fourth kind of wine, which is, or fourth kind of acid, which is citric acid. And the thing about citric acid is it's 100% consumed in the fermentation process. What doesn't get eaten up by regular yeast-based fermentation will get wiped out by the last bit of malolactic fermentation. If you and do it. If you do it. Okay, so let's, let's keep that in mind. And during malolactic fermentation, citric acid, to the extent that it's still in the wine as you begin that part of the process, can convert to acetic acid which is the acid in vinegar. So the bottom line here is if you're making a wine that you're going to do malolactic fermentation on, 
you really don't want to add any citric acid at all. And what we're working towards here is how we're going to adjust these wines. We haven't really started talking about it, adjusting the must before we uh, start fermentation. But I think the bottom line is if you're thinking malolactic fermentation, you're ruling out citric acid. I think the one place where citric acid might be useful is in some final adjustments on a white wine that has not been through a malolactic fermentation when you're trying to bring out a little bit more of the citrus notes. But other than that one specific case, my personal opinion is stay away from uh, citric acid entirely. Uh, we do, I will mention, clean our barrels with citric acid. So we are using it in that case. It's particularly good for treating the barrels, but presumably it's virtually uh, empty or, or gone by the time we... Uh... Well, well, Brian, you're on. Have you made white wine where you've adjusted at the end with acidic acid? Or has have any of the listeners actually? Yeah. You know, we must say we're not uh, really white wine guys. We've been making mostly red wines, and so we don't have uh, much experience with citric acid per se. Anyone uh, uh, play with citric acid in the winemaking process? Yeah, this is Jerry. I I definitely have used citric on on fruity whites. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would be the the right uh, the right place. Because in that case, you're not doing malolactic. You're not, um, you know, taking any risk of that uh, acetic acid or, or vinegar. Now, how, how do you determine that, Jerry? I mean, and when in the process? I mean, just from the grapes from the get-go, or are you tasting it, saying, "Gosh, this is a little too fruity. I need to uh, cut this down with some citric acid." No, it's kind of as Dave explained. More, you know, take measuring measuring the acid to, be, to begin with. And oh, me- so from numbers, okay. Yeah, trying to make a correction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other the other side of that whole thing would be to uh, make sure you check at the end as well. That's your last chance before bottling to do any corrections, uh, any final balancing that you need to do. Do you do you try to hit certain numbers with specific grapes, or is or do you just hit want to hit a certain number for white in general? It would kind of get make them all sort of generic, though it seems. I you know this. I, what I do is to go after the that particular batch. What what is what seems to be the right balance? There's a few variables at at the final uh, before bottling uh, step that you could possibly do, and uh, you know it's a, it's one of the final tweaks that you can kind of uh, add right before bottling. Um, and it's it's typically at that stage not a major addition or anything like that. It's it's typically just a uh, you know similar to the chef adding a, a dash of salt at, mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. That's why I was wondering if it was more just to taste. You know the the the, the winemaker's decision to say, gosh, I want to we we need to cut this a little bit or or no, let's leave this a little fruitier or whatever. You know. I, I think at that point, that's it, it depends on what you're going for. Um, not necessarily what the numbers, right, right, numbers say. In the beginning, sure, you're checking the numbers to make sure that you got good balance um, through the fermentation process. You've got to have a reasonable balance of those um, different attributes. Mike, but I think you're you're um, touching on a key point, and and that is the the way I put emphasis on it is when you first crush your grapes, you want to make the um, acid adjustments, the major adjustments right there. Because 
you really want to benefit from the integration, if you will, that comes through the fermentation process. So you want to be as close as you can get in the beginning to, you know, leading you to the, the, the right point at the end. You can make minor adjustments, but I believe most people feel it's a mistake to try to make, um, let's say, ignore your acidity when it's at the must stage and make all the adjustments at the back end. I think you're going to end up with acids that are um, not well integrated with the uh, overall product. So major, major adjustments during the must stage, ferment it, and then you can clean it up, minor tweaks at the end, sort of tuning at the end. Exactly. And by the way, for... I'm uh, sorry, Brian? I said while you're at a break, maybe I jumped in. Could you mute my chat for a minute so that Dan, who's on the call, I know for the first time, can see what happens? Or actually, the rest of the callers, for that matter. Oh, such power. I absolutely love that. Uh, if somebody types something that uh, that we don't like here at Cellar Dwellers headquarters, <laughs> we can click, as we just did on Brian, and uh, his comments totally disappear. Uh, we can still see him a little bit, other guy, but nobody else can. They're totally gone. Uh, well, welcome to Soto and Annie. Yeah, by the way, Annie, uh, welcome. It sounds like you're uh, listening in on the stream, but we're pleased you can chat with us and fire any questions at us as you like. So uh, to, to summarize there, that was uh, Mike who was commenting, Mike who uh, makes the sparkling wines. And, uh, Mike, we're definitely going to have to have you back on a, a future show sometime soon, next few weeks, and, and get into the process of sparkling wines. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. And, of course, I am Dave Nelson, and in the studio here with me is the other guy, my uh, passionate winemaking partner. So in adjusting acids, there's really two ways to go. We, we started touching on it here. One way to go, well, let's actually take uh, uh, this, the case where maybe you end up with grapes that are too acidic acidic to start with, uh, you can lower the acidity or increase the, the pH with calcium carbonate, which is essentially chalk or potassium carbonate. Uh, calcium carbonate is maybe it's a cheaper choice, but it's not as good a choice. Some people feel that it adds earthy elements. Um, oh, boy, gosh, I would think. Yeah, so that's a bit of a risk. Uh, let's just go on the record. We've never had the situation where we had something that was uh, too acidic and we chose that approach to it. We'll talk about our, our <laughs> Merlot experiment, how we did try to go at it. Um, there is another choice that's uh, new. Um, it's called Acidex. It's uh, A-C-I-D-E-X. It's a um, you know, brand name product out there. Probably worth checking out, but Again, let's not get into what to do if you've got something too acidic to start with. We just don't have the experience. But if you have something that doesn't have enough acid, you want to adjust the acid, you want to boost the acid uh, to make sure you've got a wine with a good backbone. Um, two fundamental ways to do it. One is if you can find a second grape or second must, which is more acidic. And so people who live in areas where they're, they have either very acidic grapes or very um, non-acidic grapes, often will order grapes from another location that are the opposite profile, and they'll actually blend them at the must stage to completely naturally try to balance out the acid level. Complicated, now the you're same doing... Same varietal? Or? Same varietal before fermentation even. So they're getting they're sourcing grapes, if they can, from different uh, locations, uh, crushing them together and uh, fermenting them, or potentially doing the fermentation separately and then combining in a barrel. I suppose that is one way, but i, I got to say the easier way, 
and the way we've always approached it is to simply buy acids. And you can go to any wine supply store and get these acids in a powder form. You can buy citric, which we do for cleaning barrels. You can buy, well, what's popular is these blends. Now, I want to go on the record as against the blend because, frankly, you're going to get a mix of stuff that you don't know. A lot of the blends have citric acid in them. And then again, if you're doing a, a red or even a white that's going to go through malolactic, the citric is it's, it's the worst thing you can put in the wine. It's not going to help because it's going to disappear in the process and potentially add that acetic acid. So I think you want to go with either tartaric. That would be the default choice. And in fact, that's what we typically do. We typically use tartaric in uh, the wine to get it to the right place. Or if you have some hint, that the grapes maybe suffered a lot of heat towards the end of their life, and this is where it's good to know where they came from and what the conditions were like before picking, then maybe in that one case you play around with boosting the uh, the uh, malic acid a little bit. Uh, we've had good luck adjusting. Where we got ourselves into trouble was not understanding the difference between pH and TA and then following some rough rules of thumb. And you can go on the Internet and uh, do a lot of research on this, find lots of rules for adjusting acidity, I would have to say, you know, first of all, don't believe everything you read, or make sure you read the Or here on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, present company uh, accepted. Uh, but the, the sort of the rough rule of thumb is that one gram of tartaric acid is going to raise uh, one liter of must by one-tenth of one percent or lower the pH by approximately 0.1. But the problem is, and this is where you know I built this fancy Excel spreadsheet and put in the numbers, the pH scale is a logarithmic scale. And what I just quoted is a linear approximate rule of thumb. So I think the the basic advice I would give is don't try to get all the way to the end uh, destination in one shot you know, take a little bit of your tartaric acid if that's what you're working with. Take the rough rule of thumb and maybe put in half. Remeasure. It's not a particularly complicated process, especially if you've got a digital pH meter. Again, the, the acid titration is going to take a little bit longer, but take progressive steps there. And maybe even let a few hours or a day go by as you're doing this and just don't overshoot. I ended up terribly overshooting. I put way too much tartaric acid in our O4 Merlot. And then what happened? Well, thankfully, even though it was very acidic, it went through the full fermentation. But then we put it in the barrels. We uh, put in the, uh, the malolactic bacteria. And we didn't check to see whether the bacteria was operating on the malic acid or not. Indeed, it wasn't, which might not have been a problem if uh, it never had. But by the time we got it in the bottles, uh, some of that acid had precipitated out, and after bottling, the malolactic fermentation finally kicked in. Well, one gram of malic acid converts to about two-thirds of a gram of lactic acid and carbon dioxide, a different way to make a sparkling wine, which is what we inadvertently did. Now, we knew we were headed down a, um, a, a bad path. We could see from the resulting pH after we'd made the adjustments that you know the formula should have been right, the acidity was way uh, too high or the pH was way too low. Uh, now, what we're talking about is about 3.0, so even below where a white wine would taste good. But for mm -hmm. a, a red wine, that's way too bitter. We called our friends down at uh, Country Wines and said, you know, what do we do? 
And of course, there was the path where you could put in calcium or potassium carbonate, but we didn't really, in a nearly finished wine, want to start messing with adding such things. So there's a different process called cold stabilization. Well, we had the wine in these big barrels, and the idea of cold stabilization is put the wine into maybe a 20 to 30 degree temperature range for maybe six weeks. So this is equivalent to putting it in your freezer. We couldn't fit the wine barrel in the freezer. In fact, the wine barrel was too darn heavy to even move. So what we did was we drained 30 gallons out of the wine barrel into these five-gallon carboys. Now, with six, uh, six of these five-gallon carboys, you can move one at a time. They're not that heavy. We wrapped them in dark plastic in the middle of the winter, dark plastic so there's going to be no damage from sunlight. And when the temperature was right in for a period of time in January or February, we put them outside. And mostly during that period, it stayed in the, say, 15 to 35 degree range, and we did get some precipitation. The pH came back up to about 3.15, still a little bit acidic. Uh, we went ahead and bottled anyway because we'd done as much as we could. The weather was warming up. There was really no good way to continue the uh, cold stabilization process. A little bit more tartaric acid being at an excess level precipitated out in the bottle. Finally, the malolactic fermentation kicked in, and we had fizzy Merlot. Now, the one saving grace of cork is it lets a little bit of excess pressure out. And over time, we've been observing that our fizzy Merlot is becoming less fizzy. Less now, carbonate, you're right. In the beginning, when we opened a bottle and it's fizzy, we would decant it or we would shake it a little bit, and it would fizz over the course of, you know, maybe 30 minutes or an hour, and it would air out nicely, and it would be a nice, you know, fine-tasting wine, although a little bit more of a process than you would typically want to go through. But, uh, you know, it worked well enough. Happily, as it's aged, since it's in cork, it is losing its, its fizz. And so, you know, there's maybe the only real concrete reason that I can vote for cork anymore. I think I'm coming That's over That's the only these, one I'm giving you. These screw-tops. <laughs> is when we mess up. Use the cork. Use the cork. So, you know, that's that's the uh, the long and the short of it on uh, acid in wine. It is exceptionally important to get it right. Get it as close as you can in the beginning, working mostly with tartaric acid. You know, if you're really into uh, doing it all natural, I think uh, perhaps it makes sense to try to source different musts and balance it out. But frankly, I'm all for the chemicals that... Uh, uh, at this point, by the way, <laughs> I see that one of our listeners has uh, entered a hilarious comment. Um, if you have seen the Internet videos going around, um, you can decarbonate is probably the best way to put Very it, quickly. A, a bottle of Diet Coke <laughs> in about one second by adding four uh, Mentos to it. And, uh, John, it's a brilliant comment. <laughs> Were it not for the small problem of sugar. But... You know what? I've been. Well, if we could get something like a Mentos, that's not <clears throat> not sugar, right? Uh, that's it's exactly the surface right. Area it's the surface the area. And I was thinking, and maybe there's a brilliant product idea that we're about to put out there. Although I don't know if we'll get around to inventing it, but I was thinking that there are some types of ceramic that are incredibly rough surfaces, and if we could get something like that that's completely inert, you maybe could. The dental industry. Hey, we and can, you're we a, can throw an old crown in there. <laughs> you're a an old guy. porcelain crown. <laughs> no, our I want to go with new porcelain crowns, please. I'm on the record as wanting new porcelain crowns. You might add a little backbone to the wine. Uh, we might. <laughs> I think I it will might go make with it that. a little chewy. <laughs> 
man, I see Mike has survived at this point in the call, and Jerry has too. You guys are uh, are, are wonderful. I, I really do think it would be fun to investigate, though, since we're not the only people who had problems with fizzy uh, what should have been still obviously wine. obviously more than the way the Mentos makes the thing explode. Well, right. Uh, for example, while it's in a 30-gallon barrel, you might be able to use a relatively small amount of, say, ceramic that has the surface area that's apparently precipitating carbon dioxide, put that small volume in, stir it around, and get a you know slower reaction. Yes, <laughs> I don't want to blow out 30 gallons of Merlot. That could be uh, really... Although we certainly don't have the carbonation of a Coke. Either. I no, mean, that's, we're not. That's we're not true. anywhere near that. Maybe a a, a long stick or like a a, a a a tube of ceramic that you could actually put into a carboy or into a barrel. Right, almost let like it come a, out, pull it out, clean it up, use it again. Yeah, shaped like a sparkler or something like right, that. You know, right, those, exactly. uh, it's a long stick. And yeah, can I can I give you that homework assignment? See if you can find us some uh, ceramics that we can try to defizz wines. We'd have one. We heck definitely of a, can. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be hard to do. I don't think it would we'll be We'll check that do. out. We'll let, we'll let our uh, our listeners know what happens with that. Yeah, John uh, also the roof off. through the, the, uh, the chat uh, says a vacuum pump is uh, another way to go. And that's true. If you did create a vacuum environment, that carbon dioxide would come out faster than anything else. And, uh, Jerry, you're right. Blending probably is an easy way to go. And I've had that thought, too. Now we have some Merlot, which is a bit on the acidic side. We can use that for blending with, say, a, a Cabernet, uh, make a classic Bordeaux blend, take a Cabernet, maybe don't hit it with as much acid, blend the two and get back to a, a reasonable point. So there's probably lots of things that, uh, that we'll explore. Well, hey, that's, uh, that's all I had to say about acid for tonight. And believe it or not, that's an hour and five minutes on the topic. But I think a very, very important topic when you're making wine at home, and our experience is, again, every time we've made wine, we've had to deal with acid in the must. Yeah, and, and if our listeners that make white wine want to uh, zip off some emails to us, on uh, since we, we know a lot of the listeners are into white as, as well as red, and let us know what they've done with some uh, white wine acid faux pas. Yeah, we'd love to hear the stories. We, we'd like to yeah. not be the only stupid ones out there that screwed this up one time. Uh, you know, white wine, presumably, it's a little bit more important. White wine is more acidic than red, and it's that real, you know, sort of fresh, uh, sharp flavor that you get out of a, a white wine. Exactly. A white wine even, without... Even more so when you uh, when you want to venture into sparkling. Really? So those are even, uh, even more important on acid. Well, a topic that... Uh, sounds like uh, overall it's uh, incredibly important and we'll continue to share our adventures as we go if you'd like to email us your thoughts on the show or questions or suggestions for future shows please send email to dave and the other guy our email address is sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com tell your friends that they can now listen along to the stream and by the way if you are listening on the audio stream hey you definitely should email because we don't we don't see your chat comments, and we don't know who you are. We would love to uh, to love love to know you're listening and uh, hear what your thoughts are on the show. Absolutely. And I think for the next couple of shows, we'll talk about other kinds of problems. You know, getting too much sugar or too much uh, too little sugar when you start your uh, must and so on. And in uh, barely over a month, we're going to be acquiring our next grapes and getting into this process again. 
we'll share that step we'll by step that. as well. That would be cool. So I don't think we're going to run out of things to talk about anytime soon. Any closing thoughts, uh, passionate one? I'm just enjoying this uh, Sleeping Dogs. It is good stuff. Very, Thanks very again, nice Richard, Pinot Noir. Sending that olive oil. I, uh, this whole thing, I think maybe there's a, a business in uh, homemade wine exchange. Think about that, listeners. We dollars a bottle. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, we got to do it. We got to find a way where that we don't have to pay all the shipping. You know, it's got to be for free. We uh, there you go. We'll yeah, we, work on we that. Must uh, emphasize for the authorities and for the court record that we never sell this stuff. It does cost a little bit to mail around. We will trade with people because we like to sample other people's stuff. And hey, uh, speaking of which. I do believe our buddy in Ohio owes us some bottles back. Aha! Uh-huh. So if you're out there, Mr. Uh, guy in Ohio, who uh, we sent you some wine, first of all, we'd love to hear what you thought of it, and we'd love to get some of yours back. Absolutely. We'll taste it and bring let you know on, our thoughts Bring it on over. It. All right. Well, that's it for uh, another episode of uh, Cellar Dwellers. We'll, uh, we'll be back next time. And remember, uh, the more you drink, the better we sound. The better we sound. Cheers. Great show, guys. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.